we get into the word of the Lord here, it is important that uh, we recognize how the word works and God's ways are not our ways. And so it's best that we learn his ways so things would work out. And, um, you know, the, uh, you've heard me state it before. I'll state it again just because, you know, it's before service coming up. Uh, you know, our worship service at 11 o'clock, the importance of us preparing for the word. Um, because the enemy cannot stand the word of God. It says in Matthew 13, 4, uh, when it talks about the parable of the, the farmer, the sower, who has the seed, which the Bible calls the word. And he goes to plant that seed, and there's some that lands on the wayside. And because it lands on the wayside, it does, and the, the ground is called the heart. And because it's on the surface of the heart, the birds have access to the word and can snatch it up. And that's what the devil always wants to do in any service that we come to. He wants to make sure we don't hear the word or get the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we don't get the word beyond the surface, the moment we leave here, that stupid bird will swoop down and snatch up that word. And this is why prayer and praise are two important things that we do prior to the word when we pray we're breaking up this fallow ground the crest the hard surface of our heart to open up so the word when it goes forth it can get within us and begin to do a work and so you know before service here you know we have pre-service prayer that helps get your heart ready uh, but as we get into the second service worshiping god as vibrant and expressively as we can creates an awesome atmosphere but also does something for us that prepares us to receive the word. And I believe a word's going to come forth today. But the other thing about God's word, and we're going to get into our lesson here, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, that the word of God is quick, meaning it's alive. And it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you think of God's word not just as like some like big battle axe, uh, which it does work in weapons of our warfare, when we attack the enemy, Jesus confronted the devil with scripture, the devil came at him with scripture and jesus rightly used the scripture against the devil but uh another way to think of god's word is almost like a scalpel because you go on reading here about this cutting edge of god's word that it divides asunder soul and spirit with such precision it could divide it and the joints and the marrow and the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart so basically god's word not only can it heal not only can it save and set free but it cuts it will cut through to us at times. There's times God's word stings. But it's because God is like a surgeon trying to get to an area of our heart that we need to give him access to. So it's important anytime we hear God's word that we're realizing we're kind of like on an operating table. God, operate on me. And uh, as much as we want all the anesthetics and stuff, sometimes, you know, it's that the medicine that don't taste good, that's a little potent and strong, that works the best. And God's word works that way. And so we got to make sure we let God's word work on us. Amen. So we go here in Psalm 101. Got to do just a quick review. We're talking about daily planner. I, I believe Psalm 101 is uh, a terrific, a terrific outline of a daily planner. Uh, that we would be intentional, not careless in waking up and going on in our day. We have a routine with the uh, with with our jobs, routine with school, routine throughout our day. But hopefully, we have planned time with God every day, and not just planned time with God, but planned intentions on what we do with this 
life of ours amongst other people. I don't want to be casual. I want to be intentional. Time is too short. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, to redeem the time for the days are evil. We're living in the last days. We don't have a lot of time, and I want to make up for all of it. Does anyone, like, regret you wish you would have, like, lived for God sooner, that you would have lived for God a lot, uh, you know, quicker, earlier in days? Because we all have regrets of doing things our way. And so knowing how aggravated we're like, man, if I would have just started this right earlier on, I wouldn't be dealing with what I'm dealing with right now. But there's nothing we could do about the past. But there's things we could do about the present. And presently, if we plan now, we won't regret down the road because we were intentional in preparing for what is coming down the road. The enemy is coming in like a flood. He's attacking us. He's coming against the church. So let's plan. The devil every day is planning to destroy the church. But let's plan as a church to destroy the kingdom of Satan. Let's advance it in Jesus' name. And so uh, just talking about our daily planner, some things that you should put in your planner. Psalm 101, verse 1. I'm not going to read through uh, the entirety of each one. uh, But we talked about plan values. David uh, sang uh, of mercy and judgment. And we need to plan our song. And a song depicts values. And so we should make sure that not only mercy is a popular song, but God's judgment, that we use the judgment of God. I want to have the judgment of God. I'm not talking about like damning people to hell kind of judgment. That's not, that's not our place. But what we need to have is the mind of God, the way God sees things, God's verdict on things. So we don't just do things because like, oh, well, I don't think God really cares or I don't feel bad about it. No, what's God's verdict on it? That's the verdict that matters. Next, in Psalm 102, talked about our planned behavior. David said, I will behave myself wisely. This is how I will walk in my house. Also, he talked about planned expectation. David uh, set the tone in his home in such a way where he could expect God to show up. Like, okay, God, I have, I, I've done everything properly. Where are you at? I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to have that kind of atmosphere. And uh, we don't think about that, you know, in, in maybe the early stages of our walk with God or if we just live for God for so long that we just kind of don't think about it. We just forget about it. We got to be intentional, making sure our house is a house of prayer. Our house is a house of consecration and devotion. It's a peaceful atmosphere. We talked in Psalm 10 uh, verse 3 about planned purity. David says, okay, this, this is how I prepare my house. These are the things that I do in my house. These are the things I do not do in my home. And we talked about media for a while uh, to make sure that we are intentional at the traffic that comes in our home. And uh, I remember... You know, when I I would hear uh, preachers preach about, you know, certain music and certain, you know, media, I would get like, I would get really aggravated because it was something I'm very passionate about. You know, I I love the programs I'd watch. I love the music I'd listen to. I love the games that I would play. And, you know, I would get real defensive, like, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not worshiping the devil. I'm not on all fours saying, devil, come into my heart right now. I think you're awesome. No, like no one's intentionally saying those things. You know, we're just, we're just living life the way we knew how and enjoy how to live. But one day God sent a messenger away to say, hey, think about this. Open your eyes. Ask God what he thinks about this. And all of a sudden God started working on my heart and opening my eyes to realize, wow, I didn't even see that before. I didn't even realize that. And I'm thankful that God would love us enough to deal with us. Here's a, a, a great verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. It says, godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation not to be repented of. Meaning this is how God works. This is how the love of God works. He will get that scalpel and he'll cut that heart. It will sting and he'll start 
digging. I was just talking to someone recently who had a surgery, and they were talking about the surgery. They had how, like, they were in pain for an extended amount of time, but the deep surgery was to help them. And so it is with God's word. It cuts inside of us. It stings. It hurts a while, but it is for the healing of us. It is for the betterment of us. And so it says, godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of. And so Paul's talking to the church. He says, look, I, I've said some things that are strong, but it's not to harm you. It's to help you. And if you would take it, it's conviction that works to salvation, to repentance, to get you on the right track. And I think God, that he loved me enough. Like, I don't want to walk into, like, the doctor's office and, like, my body's ridden of cancer and he just feels bad about letting me know the cancer. And he says, you know what? You're doing great. You know, just make, do a few sit-ups. Like, I, I, that's not the, it might make me feel good, but I don't want to feel good. I want to know the condition of what's inside of me. On the surface, I may look good, but there might be cancer inside of me. So I want that doctor. As much as I don't like needles, I was the kind of kid that they would, they would call the special nurse in. And fee, fi, fo, fum, you know, 800-pound Bertha would come in and sit on me. Okay, she might have been 700. I exaggerate a little bit. She was, a, she was larger than life and sat on my tiny frame body to stick the needle inside of me. But it was for my own good. I didn't like it. I didn't understand it as a child. And when we get into the new birth, we don't always understand the process, but it is for our good. Just like us as parents, our kids don't like some of the stances we take, but as adults, we know better. At least we should know better, right? You know, it's just like, hey, we don't, we're not going to let you put that fork inside that socket as much as it looks like a fun thing to do. No, you, you yell at them, you discipline them so they learn. And so it is with us in our walk with God. God, don't let me just do whatever I want. And help me to have an ear that can receive what your word is doing in my life. Psalm 101, verse 3, planned purity. We talked about that here. Uh, planned relationships, verse 4. I think this is uh, where we left off. So that's we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. A forward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. The goal is to purge the old heart of what is contrary to God. He says, this is, this is my heart. The word forward means distorted, false, perverse. Our way is distorted. Our way is false. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Like we've been living our worldview for so long that it just seems right. Like what's wrong with what we're doing? But all of a sudden you come in contact with God's view and his God's judgment, God's verdict, God's say on the matter. And it's completely con conflicting, contrary to our ways. And so uh, that's what a forward heart is. Our heart is distorted. Our heart can be false. Our heart can be perverse. So he says, I want this heart to depart from me. I want a new heart. Psalm 51 is a great one. Created me a clean heart Oh, God, renew a right spirit within me. God, I want a clean heart. My heart is wicked. My heart is vile. My heart is distorted. My heart is false. My heart is perverse. Give me a clean heart. And one of the, the, the I'll go back to it again, but one of the most important ways that you could work on your heart is what you set before your eyes. And you've, you've heard me before if you've been in this church long enough, and if you've never heard this before, I would jot this verse down. Lamentations 351. Lamentations 351 says this, my eye affects my heart. And you can write down Job 31 verse 7, my heart walks after my eye. That's a cycle. If you've never heard that before, I would write those two verses down. Lamentations 351, my eye affects my heart. 
in Job 31, verse 7, my heart walks after my eye. That's the, that's the impact. What we watch deposits into our heart. And eventually, in a, a moment of weakness or passion or zeal or whatever, what's in the heart comes to the surface, and you follow after it. And so we got to be very careful. And that's what we talked about for an extended amount of time last week is basically the diet of what is before our eyes depositing in our heart. And in modern day, you know, 21st century, we don't think anything of it because we were raised with a TV. We were raised with devices. We are raised with the Internet. And so, like, it's just everyday activity that we just don't give any thought about, but we're not talking about going into our day being random. We're talking about having a daily planner. I'm going to plan what I set before my eyes because now I see through God's word, it affects my heart and my heart can get distorted. My heart can get perverse. My heart can get false. And if we put false things before our eyes, perverse things before our eyes, distorted things before our eyes, that deposits here. Doesn't mean like our intention is to be distorted, to be false, to be wrong, all that kind of stuff. But it's just a byproduct, a result, a consequence of not planning our day. But the next part of verse 4, he says, I will not know a wicked person. Now, this, this gets difficult as well. You know, it's difficult before to talk about, you know, changing our diet of what we set before our eyes and ears. But another difficult thing is planned relationships. He says, I will not know a wicked person. We become who we surround ourselves with. We are influenced by who we surround ourselves with. It, it affects us. It impacts us. Uh, if, if there's, there's, there's a number of reasons why I hate subway. I can't stand subway and it's not because the sandwiches are pumped full of formaldehyde. That's not why I don't like subway. It's because you, you walk into a subway or even a quarter of a mile distance from Subway, you smell like Subway the rest of the day. And I can't stand the smell of Subway. Now, maybe you love Subway, and that's your, your, your perfume and toiletry items and things like that. That's fine. That's, you do you, but I'm just talking about me. I cannot stand the smell of Subway. And it has this, this vehement power to somehow penetrate through your clothing and enter into the pores of your skin and be there for about 52 days, no matter how much essential oils you bathe in. It doesn't matter. It's, it's embedded and it becomes one with your DNA. It's the most horrific smell. I cannot stand the smell of Subway. Now, I'm not saying you're going to hell if you guys eat Subway. I just think there's a better way. It's called Dagwoods. But that's neither here nor there. But the point is that... I don't go to gas stations with Subway because I don't want to smell like Subway. Because I'll go to pay for gas, and I leave, and I'll smell like Subway the rest of the day. I didn't buy any chips. I didn't get a foot long. I didn't get no pita bread. I didn't get no nothing. But now I smell like Subway the rest of the day because I expose myself to an atmosphere. It's just kind of like you may not be the one smoking, but if you're around someone that's smoking, that smoke gets on you. And it affects you. So think about your relationships like secondhand smoke. The people you are around. You may not be saying the same things they're saying. You may not be participating in the same activities they are. But that secondhand spirit, that secondhand activity, that secondhand behavior attaches itself to you. I can't tell you amount, amount of times. My mom is very sensitive to atmosphere. My mom is very sensitive to the spirit world. And that I would be out hanging out with my friends. I'd be hanging out with a bunch of potheads. And, and I would even be smoking pot. And I'd come home, and she'd be like, where you been? Nowhere. What have you been doing? Nothing. 
And I, you know, like she could sense something was off. Something was different. It's that nature that God puts inside of parents to have their discernment about their children. You know, if your children comes into your home and, and they may not say anything's wrong, but you could sense, you know, something's off, you know, something's wrong. And that is, that's no different when we get older. Now we may not recognize it, but it, it is, it is something that we got to take inventory and be intentional about. If I'm going to, if I'm going to hang around certain people, though, I'm not doing the activities. It is affecting me. It is affecting me, and i got to be very careful about that. Um, so do not uh, uh, surround yourself with what you struggle with. I know that's not rocket science, but it's important. Don't surround yourself with what you struggle with. If you struggle with alcohol, why surround yourself with alcohol? If you struggle with smoking, why surround yourself with people smoking? If you struggle with perverted language, why surround yourself with perverted language? If you struggle with cussing, why surround? You see what I'm saying? We got to, and this is what David said, I will not know a wicked person. Now, we can't, we're not going to crawl into a cave and we're going to be hermits and, you know, uh, start a new Hutterite village, be like the Pentecostal Hutterites. That's, that's not the point is to completely remove ourselves from the world. We can't do that because how are you going to reach the lost unless you're around them? Okay. So I, that's not what Paul's point is like, Hey, let's, let's just kind of isolate ourselves and not reach anybody. His point is you, you can be intentional about your relationships. You know, you may have to work around somebody, but you don't have to hang out with that somebody after work. You don't, you don't, you don't have to be around certain atmospheres. You have the ability to pick and choose. So there are others we should not let surround us such as, uh, or I'm sorry, skip a point. This is, this is not just about drugs, alcohol, sex. Uh, there's, there's, there's so many other sins. There's so many other struggles there. I know there's like, you know, major vices that, you know, come to the forefront of our minds, but it's more than that. It's beyond that. And so there are other sins that we should not let ourselves be surrounded with, uh, such as verse five here in Psalm 101 and verse five, he says this, this is, he gives the list of the wicked people. He will not know. He says the person that privily slandereth his neighbor. He says, the person that is a gossiper, that's the person I don't want. I don't, I don't want to be BFF with. I, I don't want to be so close to someone that, that is talking trash about people. Now you may enjoy talk, talking trash about people with that person or listening to them gossip, but just be sure of this. The person that's sharing all that information about people behind their backs that they don't like the moment you turn around and they can see your back, it gets conversation for them to have with someone else. You, you're, you're, you're hanging out with a gossiper, and when you walk away, they're going to talk about you too. And David says, that's not the people I'm going to associate with. That's not the people I'm going to talk with. That's not the people I'm going to hang out with. He goes on to say this. That person, that's, I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to unfollow them. I'm going to unfriend them. I, I'm not going to hang out with them. It may seem cold. It may seem callous. But I don't want that secondhand spirit. I don't want that secondhand attitude getting on me. And the next person that he does not put up with, he says, the person that has a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Don't only just remove the gossip or remove the arrogance, remove the pride of this world, the pride of life. He says, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not going to allow it. So why should I hang out with it? 
Why should I hang out with this type of spirit, this type of attitude? Or why not only should I hang out with it, why should I let it entertain me? What is most entertainment? It is basically cocky, haughty, high-looked, high-minded people that think they're better than you. And then we idolize them. Like, they don't care about us. They don't love us. They just, they, they just want our viewership. They want our money. And that's about it. They, they don't give a rip about us. And they just flaunt their talent. They flaunt their ability. They flaunt their prowess. They flaunt all the things they have in this world. And David says, that's not the person I want to uh, put up with. That's not the attitude that I want to entertain me. That's not the person I want to associate with. I'm not going to. And so like in your mind, you're thinking like, well, who am I going to hang out with? Uh, who am I going to talk to? Well, he gives a list. There's people out there you could talk to. Look at verse six. He goes, this is where my eyes are going to be set on. This is what I will set before my eyes. This is what I'm going to be focused on. The faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. The ones that walk in a perfect way, he shall serve me. So our goal is to find the faithful and to surround yourself with faithful people, godly people. Because the ones that are walking where you want, you want to find the ones that are walking where you want to walk. You want to walk with the ones that are walking the right way, the perfect way, the godly way. And so your eyes should be on that. Instead of looking at the person who's the most popular, the person who's got the most money, the person that's got the most influence, the person that, you know, everybody likes, and, and, and you got your eyes set on that, like, that's what I want to be, that's what I want to become, that's who I want to hang out, the, the ways of this world. Get your eyes off of that and find someone faithful. Find someone godly. And you hear me say it time and time again. If the only time you see the people in this room is on Sunday, you're missing an opportunity in your week. Look around. There's faithful people in this room. There's faithful people in this land that if you set your eyes on them and your ears before them and you find yourself walking with them, it's going to help your walk. It's going to help you as an individual. And uh, I've had to reset my friends three times in life. The first time is when I prayed through at 18 years old. And, you know, I had my, my friend group, and we had a blast. We had a good time, people I spent years with. And I just realized that, you know, I, I keep falling because I keep hanging out with them. And it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. But I wanted to be set free from my sexual addictions. I wanted to be set free from all the pride and the arrogance and the struggles that I had. And I made that hard-line decision, and I cut it off. I... I and, and uh, I'll say this down the road, like, you know, in social media, the advent of it, you know, I, I started, you know, getting reconnected to those people on Facebook and, and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, like when I did that, there was like it's like this door that I closed open back up and I had all these memories flood back in. And here I am being a Christian. And now I'm almost like contemplating wanting to sow wild oats because it basically just reactivated where I was with them the last time I saw them and what I did with them the last time I was with them and how fun it was and all that kind of stuff. And also that, that spirit rose within me and, and I started that struggle again. And I, I'm contemplating things. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And by God's grace, I was able to close that door and unfollow and unfriend. I, that sounds harsh, but my salvation is more important than my pleasure in this world with friends that I, I do care about. I, I do have, you know, I've had good times with them, but I cannot surround myself with what I struggle with. 
And so I closed that door when I was 18 years old. It tried reopening. But even after that, when I was at Bible college, there was people there that weren't after the same thing I was after. And I, even though I enjoyed their friendships, I learned, you know what? This is not a friendship that's going to benefit me. And I had to not suffer it, not put up with it, and cut it off and find a new friend group. And then I started having minister friends as a licensed minister of the gospel, as a preacher, as a pastor. And now I'm, I'm, I'm having pastoral friends. And then again, I had to reset my friend group because I was like, man, these guys, some of the, they're really not about this. You know, they're, they're into other things. They have uh, other vested interests, and that's not what I'm interested in. And, and it's hard to lose friends, but you will find brothers. You'll find the family of God if you plan who you want to be with. And I promise you this, you know, if you don't know people in this room, if you get to know them, you will find family. You'll find family in this room. But if you sit in your house by yourself all week, you are hurting yourself. The Bible says he or she who has friends must show themselves friendly. You can't sit in your room isolated all by yourself. Well, nobody wants to talk to me. No one will invite me over. No one will talk to me. No one this, no one that. Why don't you be proactive and pull the thumb out of your mouth, stop crying, be a grown-up, and actually have a relationship with people in this room. Be proactive. Even if you're an introvert and it's difficult for you, you got to be intentional because, you know what, I plan to go to heaven. That's what I'm doing. I'm planning to go to heaven. So I will have relationship with people in this room. Someone say amen. So we got to do this, and it, it may be very difficult. And, and, and um, I'll try not to cry because I didn't mean to even bring this up, but um, I, I remember, like, sitting at events, you know, now I, I, in the church, and I would I'd watch people interact basically where their friendship their entire life, they stayed together, and they stayed in the church. And, like, as I'm watching it, like, I, I literally, like, I'm like, man, I would love to have a relationship like that. I, I, I honestly, I don't have any of that relationship. Like, I don't have friends that I stayed in church, they stayed in church, we were raised in the church, and we can go back that far down memory lane and have common experiences. And so that might be difficult because now you're, 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 you're giving yourself serious to God. This is new for you. We didn't grow up all around each other. We, don't, we can't share those common experiences. But we need to start new relationships here because it will pay off down the road because in five years you'll have a lot to talk about. In ten years you have, and all of a sudden, but as, as the young families that are in this room, this is important for you as a parent to be planning intentional how your home is set up because what you don't have you now can help your children to have. Wouldn't that be awesome if our children grow up together and they're 20 years old together? Some of them might even get married together. I, I don't know. My daughters aren't getting married. They're saying, you just back off, you know, with your kids. You know, I was, but, but how beautiful. Like that's, I want Jesus to come back like now. I'm tired of this world. But there's this other side of me that I want to grow up to be that old man on the porch. And watch my children grow up and watch them live a life of purity and watch them live a life that they weren't given to the things that I was given. And their friends are lifelong friends that can go back to the early days of the Jesus church. And now they're leading the services. Now they're the youth pastor. Now they're the pastor. You know, I, I can't wait for that day. So this is why don't think just about you. Think about your children. 
And that's why media is so important. You may think you're not being affected. Fine. I don't know if I share this story before. But I'll never forget. I was preaching at a place and, and God gave me a vision at night and it was of a particular show. It was a horrific vision I had. And um, it shook me. And, and, and God showed me that it was that spirit, that, that show, that people that were bound by it were in that room. And so I brought it up at this camp and I mentioned it and I talked about the danger of this show. And um, well, anyways, there's a move of God afterwards with this one uh, youth president came up to me afterwards and he said, he, he asked me when I had the dream and the vision, I told him last night and he says, that's wild. I go, what? He says, last night I was laying in bed and I was awakened because a demon walked into my room and stood at the foot of my bed. And I sat up and I looked at him and he looked at me and I wasn't afraid of him. But then he looked over to my kids sleeping in the corner and he looked at me and he smiled and he walked out. And he says, the show you've mentioned has been the gateway drug into my home that has allowed other things to be watched in my home. And now the devil has a hold of my kids. And so you may think you might make it to heaven because, you know, oh, I'm I'm an adult. I can handle this. I don't think there's any sin that's worth being an adult to try to handle, first off. But second, don't think about you and just you. You are the father. You're supposed to be the man of the house, the lead spiritually. You are the wife of the house. You're the woman that should be guarding your home like a mother hen. And you've got to not just think about yourselves. You've got to think about your children. Because I don't want my kids to be hijacked. I want to see our kids grow up together. I want to see our kids grow up and to be powerful for God together. Someone say amen. So the ones that are walking where you want to walk. Those are the people that you want to walk with. Verse seven, the person that works at deceit, I'm not going to do, let that dwell in my house. The person that tells lies, not going to tarry in my sight. Once more, we got to have traffic control. We got to be intentional. Don't let that kind of traffic into your home. Don't let that traffic in your home. Now we, I believe we would probably be in uh, a unanimous here. There would be a consensus that, and I mentioned this last week again, we wouldn't let certain people physically walk in our homes and say and do certain things, especially as, as a, a stranger. We wouldn't let a stranger walk in our home, but we let strangers sit in front of our phones, on our devices, on our laptops, whatever it is, and sit in our living room, the most personable place, and basically do whatever they want to do in front of us with our children there's secondhand smoke coming out. There's secondhand spirits that are coming out that we don't even realize it. And he says, you know what? If there's anything that's deceit in that, I'm not going to let it in my house. You see that in verse 7? Any amount of deceit, not in my house. Any lies being told, not going to be in front of my eyes. I will not permit that before my eyes or my ears in my home. So we cannot let deceit stream into our home because the devil is a liar and he's the father of it. I'm supposed to be the father of my home. I'm supposed to be the head of my house. I'm not going to let some spirit be some father of my children. That's a liar. I'm not going to let that spirit be of, you know, the, the, the leader in my home. I want to set the tone in my home that it would be a sanctuary, that it'd be a sacred, hallowed place. This is not just the physical, but the digital. But at the same time, we do got to be careful who are, what kind of traffic do we let in our homes and what kind of traffic do we find ourselves going to and interacting with. And, um, 
Don't let their text messages, their voice messages, social media news feeds be part of our diet. If it is wrong, if it is deception, I don't want it there. Don't let it in your home. Don't let it go before your eyes. Last verse here. We're going to wrap it up. Verse 8. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. So the last thing to plan or at least the last thing on the list here to put down to plan is timing, plan timing. And he put it on his planner when he was going to do it early, early meaning first, you know, early might be different for you than it is for me, but it's when you start your day. Some people start their day. If you're Mike, you start at like one in the morning or two in the morning and two in the morning if he sleeps in. And then, you know, other people start their day at the crack of noon. What, 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 whatever it is that you start your day early. That might be early for you. But what, what, what should we plan first? The first thing we do is I want to remove anything that's wicked on the property that I'm responsible over. This land that my apartment, my home, my complex, wherever it is that you dwell, that's your, that's your piece of land. And you know what? I'm not going to let anything wicked on this property. I am going to remove anything that does wicked from being here. Because I believe everywhere I set my foot, as God told Joshua, wherever you set your foot, that's going to be yours in Jesus' name. I, I don't want people walking over me. I want to walk in authority. I want to walk with spiritual dominion. I want to step into the place. I want to be the one that sets the tone. I don't want to be a follower and be influenced by those that are leading wickedly. I want to lead righteously and godly, and I will do it early. I'm not going to say, well, you know, maybe in a month, maybe in a year. Well, we're not promised a month. We're not promised a year. The longer you delay, the less likely the day. It's those that say, early. Now is the time. This is the best time to get this right with God. This is the best time for me to be proactive. I'm not promised the next moment. And I, maybe my kids have survived, but I might be just one show exposure away where my children is, are, are affected in a very drastic sense and in a very drastic way. I believe, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not throwing uh, my parents or anyone under the bus, anything like that. But I think there was just some signs in our home as a childhood that, you know, if, if they would have been proactive, it would have probably helped me. Not probably, it would have helped me. I think there was warning signs that could have been noted, like, you know what, we need to, we need to get this out of the home. We should even have this in the home. We should even allow them to go to that home, that kind of thing. But because that wasn't done, I was exposed to things I never should have been exposed for. Now, i got to take responsibility for me, ultimately. But parents, if your children are in your home, you have been given a gift from God. You've been given a gift from God. And we got to be very intentional. And I think Psalm 101 is a beautiful outline of how we can plan our day. And I think the best time to do it is early. First thing you do when you wake up. This is how I'm going to live my day. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to put this off any longer. Let's stand together. And let's pray that God would, would help us. And I, I, I believe it's either maybe Colossians 2, Philippians 2. I don't have this written down. But it's a very, uh, it's, it's a powerful verse, and I'm paraphrasing it. But Paul says this, uh, basically, that, you know, 
Actually, I want to find it now. It's just going to bother me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. This is a great verse. If you haven't listened to anything, just listen to this verse. I'll read it in the King James and I'll read it in the New Living Translation. And the King James says this, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now that may be too thick of a language for you to hear, so I'll read it in the New Living Translation. Here's what he says. I wrote it down next to it in my Bible. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. Wow. See, a lot of people that say, well, I don't feel bad about it. That's not my conviction. And that's how a lot of people operate in their homes. Well, I don't have that conviction. That's your conviction. You don't need to be convicted about something to be right or wrong. I mean, how many people are sinning today and they don't think nothing of it? Like, they don't think nothing of it. So that's, that same human flesh is on you right now as a Christian. And there's certain things like, well, you know, that, that's your church's conviction. That's this. And I understand there's varying convictions. I get that. But don't buy into the lie that you have to feel bad about something for it to be wrong. And so this is why, and this is what he says. You go and read that verse. He says, it's the Lord that judges. And what did, what did he start off his song with? I will sing of his mercy and judgment. And so what we need to pray is like, you may think everything's great in your world. That's a great feeling. It really is. Like, I don't feel anything bad. But being in the presence of God and saying, God, I don't want to just assume that everything's okay. If there's any wicked thing in me or if there's any wicked thing in my home, let the spirit bring it to light and show me. And God, I may not like what you show me, but I love you and I trust you and I will obey you. That's the response we ought to have. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for talking to us. And I pray, God, that that we would do this early. I pray we don't delay. I pray, God, that we do not postpone it. I pray, God, that we just don't sit and ponder it and just kind of forget about it. But I pray we would early do this. I pray it become a first thing, a priority thing. And then, Jesus, if there's no thing that comes before us in our mind, I pray that we would come, come to you in prayer and begin to ask, Lord, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done not our will we must decrease you must increase we trust you we love you we give you thanks we give you praise let there be revelation illumination understanding in our lives in our hearts you are holy we're not holy and we need your holiness to lead us to guide us to show us to direct us in jesus name amen you're